0: The Pard Fix Network.
1: Hello and welcome. This is episode 184 of the Filmmakers Podcast, sponsored this week by those crafty people at Screencraft.
0: One, two, two, three, four. <music>
1: This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today we are talking to the fantastic Caroline Goodall. Not only is she an actress, not only is she a producer, but she is also a screenwriter of the fantastic film which is out now literally today, called Bay of Silence. It is amazing. The film stars Klaus Bang, Olga Kurilenko and Brian Cox and myself and Robbie McCain sat down and had a brilliant chat with Caroline. Even though she was in Croatia, even though she was in a hotel room with really terrible internet, we still managed to do it. Not only that, but she had a Covid test in the middle of our recording. We wanted her to do it live. Which he did, but unfortunately she had to go out the room to do it. But that would have been fascinating. For us, more than you, because you'd have just heard, you know, sniffing and stuff. But for us, we'd have seen what happened on a movie, because she's on a movie right now. But anyway, we're here to talk about The Bay of Silence and the episode with Caroline Goodall, who goes into so much detail about how she made, basically, her debut screenwriting and producing movie. Now, Caroline has been acting for many, many years And you'll know her from movies such as Hook, Schindler's List, Cliffhanger, um, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is coming out soon, and Hunter Killer, just to name a few of her amazing credits. But here, she's producer and screenwriter, as well as being in the movie. Bay of Silence was directed by Paula van der Oost. As she talks to you and us How she adapted uh, Bay of Silence from a novel. How she managed to get the cast of Klaus Bang, Olga Kurilenka and Brian Cox on board. How she got Signature distributing the movie. She also talks about working in Covid and how that's affected movie making. She talks about getting advice from Maggie Smith and some amazing influences in her life. From one Robin Williams and she goes into detail about her audition with Robin Williams. And a certain Mr. Stephen Spielberg. Not only did she get directed by Steve uh, in Hook, but also Schindler's List, the Oscar-winning uh, masterpiece, but also working with Ridley Scott as well. And this, I feel, is important, and any takeaways you can get from this today are all about how Caroline made bay of silence and one of those things was understanding the business side of it, understanding how investors want to be talked to, understanding how you can actually raise that money. How she got those investors on board is a great part of this podcast this week. Oh yeah, this is our episode with Caroline Goodall. It's brilliant. It's coming up very soon because, I, first of all, I do have to tell you, and you probably know this already, and I'm smiling inside because it is one week away from The Dare being released in the UK. Ooh, baby. Now you could say, Giles, so what? You've banged on about this enough. No one cares. I care. I care. Uh, <laughs> I am delighted to just get it out, it's four years uh, It's this whole podcast of talking about this movie It's finally out in the UK Obviously if you're in USA and Canada and Holland and Hong Kong And so many other places You can already watch the movie, should you wish But from Monday, next week, the 5th of October All the people in the UK People, friends of mine have been banging on about for ages Can go watch The Dare excellent so that is that The Dare is out next week (laughs) excellent oh and what I'm going to do for you for you lovely lovely people is do a podcast special next Tuesday I'm going to get in some of the cast and crew from The Dare to kind of do what we did with King Arthur but obviously because it's four years ago for some of them um, they've got to try and rack their brains (laughs) and try and remember what happened on the movie so I'm going to bring some of the cast and crew in on that so that is next week's episode The Dare special but before then as a treat for you, because this episode today is with Caroline Goodall talking about Bay of Science, of course, right? One of the stars of that movie also had a chat to us. Oh, yeah, that's right. Klaus Bang, ladies and gentlemen. Bang! Shalit Bang! No, Klaus. Bang, legend himself, brilliant actor, the lead in Dracula on BBC recently, um, the lead in the last season of The Affair, amazing guy, and he sat down and chatted to me and Robbie as well. But there was so much to put into one episode, I thought, why not split them up into two? So it's Caroline today, and then it's Klaus. Klaus Bang, legend himself, talking about Bay of Silence on Friday. Double whammy for you this week and um i'm too excited i've just had a coffee very excited so this week's episode is sponsored by screencraft um and obviously we're talking on this episode with caroline goodall about adapting a novel into a screenplay well um this week the promotion from screencraft is cinematic book writing competition so is your book is your novel is it ready for the big screen does your novel have cinematic potential? Well, if so, ScreenCraft want to read it. That is right. They have their ScreenCraft cinematic book writing competition and they're looking for published and unpublished manuscript submissions. And that's important there. I said unpublished manuscript submissions that are ready for cinematic adaptation, including novels, novellas, true stories and biographies. So whatever you've got, if you've got one of those, send it to ScreenCraft. They want to know... Because the grand prize winner will receive 1,000 cash prize and a personal introduction to top literally, literally, top literary managers. Uh, So top court finals will also have their project shared with a special mention at ScreenCraft.org. Their stacked panel, by the way, of industry judges includes literary agents, managers, screenwriters and editors who are looking for the next great story with the potential to be adapted to the screen. Could that be you? You listening, you. Is that you? Submissions are open now. Take advantage of the early deadline discount. But hurry, that discount ends on September the 30th, which is literally tomorrow. So if you've got one, you've got a novel ready, novella, whatever it is, get onto screencraft.org now and go have a look. Link to that is in the show notes. Huge shout-outs this week to some amazing people. But first of all, to Mitch Tolliday, because... His feature film, which is called Murder Ballads. I have come on board to help Mitchell because Mitchell got in touch. He'd been listening to the podcast and he said, hey, any chance of a shout out? Can you have a look at Murder Ballads? What do you think? I had a look. I loved it. The script was brilliant. The team were amazing. I said, well, why don't I help you out a bit further? Uh, So i will come on board. I've come on board to help the amazing team behind Murder Ballads. It's on greenlit now they are trying to raise uh, £10,000 for their budget to make this feature film moment they're nearly at four grand, and they've only been going uh, just under a week they've got another three weeks to go so please go support if you can link to Murder Ballads is in the show notes it's an independent feature set in the rock and roll world of rock and roll it's a dark comedy of six interconnected stories that chart the rapid rise and violent fall of a dysfunctional rock band called Stack of Corpses who are willing to do anything for success. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. That is ace. That is ace. Uh, so go to Murder Ballads on Greenlit and check it out. Please do. Uh, Mitchell Tolliday, Neil Rickatson, and the whole team are amazing. So shout-outs this week. Go to... Simon, uh, at MovieFan99 on Twitter. Mark Coleman, at Simon on Film. Jed Bryan, legend. Uh, the Video Jungle nathan root and bad movie night thank you everyone okay let's get to it this is our episode with the amazing caroline goodall myself giles alderson and robbie mccain enjoy thank you so much you're all legends and we will see you friday for the special klaus bang episode and then we'll see you on tuesday for the dare special podcast because the dare will be released into the uk enjoy everyone enjoy can you hear me yes yep
2: (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it all goes wrong but um first first time it's it's great
3: (laughs) i am in croatia i apologize but i then just moved on to a different router so hopefully it's okay
1: oh fine what are you doing in croatia
3: i'm um well uh you know how it's we're all trying to go back to work. But um, the only mm-hmm. work that I've been doing, obviously, is pickups now. We're all starting. As of sort of August, September, um, movies that were put on hold because of COVID are starting to kind of come back together again. So I've been in Hungary, um, and I shot um, the two days I needed to do on um, a film called Birds of Paradise, directed by Edina. Um. Smith, uh, Sarah Dina-Smith, with Kristen Froseth and Diana Silvers, and they're wonderful, and it's all about ballet dancers. Um, And uh, so that was Budapest, and then I had five days off, and now I've come down to Dubrovnik, uh, to Croatia, to do five days on a movie called The Islander, which Mm is kind of cool. It's sort of um, sci-fi, apocalyptic, steampunk, Um, end of the world stuff, uh, where I play a kind of mystery baroness who actually is the Admiral of the Navy, and the whole of the world has sunk, and there's only little islands left, and whoever, of course, runs the biggest island is, you know, the guy, and uh, so I help run the biggest island, but you don't know if I'm a goodie or a and of course, Croatia is the perfect place to shoot it, because it's fantastic, the water is amazing, and There's islands everywhere, and um, it's kind of nice. So you come back, the protocols are crazy, and you come back and you kind of quarantine and self-isolate for a week with with no hardship, I have to say.
1: It's not too bad, is it, right? You can read a book, watch a bit (laughs) of telly for a while. It's not like you're in a prison, is it? It's like, well, all right, I'll... uh...
3: I won't show you the view out that window because you're going to hate me. (laughs) But right. <laughs> it's about 28 30 degrees um wow. yeah so i can
1: possible. see a little view over your left shoulder there
3: yeah yeah, and that's the town that's just sort of
1: oh that's just like, the beautiful yeah. town with the river and
3: stuff you know, like. i was hoping we could sit on the terrace actually but i'm not sure if the wi-fi is going to go that far but um, okay. yeah. no no i'm i'm i won't crow but i am enjoying it and then i'm gonna start work next wednesday
1: How wonderful the fact that you can go straight back to work, go straight from, you know, uh, Budapest to there. I I love the fact that the world is starting again now in terms of the film world a little bit. It's kind of moving and that's good. It can only be good for filmmaking, right?
3: Oh, God, yes. I mean, it's just terrible. The main issue is anything that. Um, had started shooting and still has some form of insurance is able to keep going because COVID, of course, wasn't in the insurance policies. Mm. Um, anything that has to start now, uh, COVID, obviously, um, any communicable disease actually is no longer in policy. And so it's very, very difficult for investors, for filmmakers. The actors, of course, are the most vulnerable because we can't wear PPE. So we get tested daily. I've just got so used to being tested. Um, You know, I I have to say, I don't know many films that haven't got a problem. I mean, we just, know, Batman's just happened, but Mm -hmm. uh, we had The Matrix, it happened. That was the Mm -hmm. COVID thing. Um, Then I think there was something else in the UK. There was even a little minor scare in the Amazon movie I did as well. Uh, So, yeah, we're all just having to suck it up and just be really, really good.
1: Yeah. And be, and, and why not? And I think if only it, it'll stay that way, as long as people don't abuse it and sort of go, well, I'm just going to go out anyway. And then it, you don't know, see people get, get it because people are doing wrong. But if you're all good and you're staying in your bubbles and you're doing the job of being an actor or being a producer or a director, then I think it can be safe. It can work. Um, we can do this and we can keep going, which I think is important. I think um, What's really interesting for me as well to, to chat to you is not only did we meet that wonderful time uh, after Anna and the Apocalypse screening and have a lovely drink in the pub, which was fantastic, um, is the fact that you've worked for so long on so many amazing films and TV. And interestingly, recently uh, you've done um, Hitman's Wife, Bodyguard and uh, Hunter Killer, both at the Bulgarian studio where I shot my movie The Dare. Oh, yeah. And you were there, which is really weird, pretty much at the same time as me. And I think that's like on and off between those times. It's like how funny that we didn't cross paths when we were there. But how great that you, shooting over in Bulgaria is amazing. Shooting at the studio there must have just been, and on those films as well. Such such fun.
3: Yeah, I mean, they always are. I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is now, of course, having written and produced a film like you, you see, you're a bit of a slashy. Um, so Um you know how yeah. it is to put lots of different hats on
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know people have asked me they said oh well you know now it's difficult isn't it because you know you're, you know, you're producing writing and not just acting and acting so much easier and you know in a funny way I don't know if it is I actually think acting is one of the hardest things in the world um, because you are having to dig down all the time you've got to be So ready and so on it at every moment, um, there you know, because you know that otherwise you're holding a whole bunch of people up, um, and uh, you know, there's time is money, um, and I think you're not being yourself. And I I have to say, the one thing I really enjoyed, uh, about being a producer on Bay was I could just be me, um, and apart from that I could also take my own time, so I didn't always have to come in at the crack of dawn. Um, <laughs> and, I yeah. um, and I really found that quite liberating, I have to say. I really mm-hmm. did. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just so loving. I, I didn't stop in front of the camera. I kept going because I had commitments. And, you know, certainly when you're moving into post, um, as producer you know you do have some time on your hand you're waiting for edits to come through and you can do things remotely so uh in order you know to keep um uh you know roof over everyone's head uh i did actually continue working which was nice yes i keep saying no i i still have the day job yes <laughs>
0: yeah it's the acting it's
2: not too bad of a day job really
1: it's not too bad, is it? And like, But it is difficult. You are right. It is difficult. And when you're wearing all those hats, it can be really difficult. And the fact that you starred, produced and wrote uh, Bay of Silence is just, it's great. It's wonderful the fact that you got it made, the fact that you were part of that team. And as far as I can see, and please uh, tell me if I'm wrong, is that that's your first main producing credit as well. Is that correct?
3: Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's my first sort of feature writing credit too Um,
1: impressive
3: and uh, as I said it's like literally from pen to paper to point of sale Um, and you know of course there's so many people who you meet along the way along the journey and you know that who um, you know who take the leap of faith with you so it is an incredible team effort but um, I don't think I realized when I started that you know my name was i was signing (laughs) 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 we always it came back to me and so that because if you're the one who's ultimately signing everything and it's your company and it's your you know you package it in ways of money and all the rest of it you're then employing people so Mm -hmm. then of course when something goes wrong or something something hits the fan and they go so what do you think and you go well didn't I implore you so that you were going to be able to that out? <laughs> and at the end, you realize that the buck does stop with you. Um, and I think I had to really try and grow into that. I kept looking over my shoulder, wondering, you know, oh, there's no one there.
1: <laughs> there's no one there to talk to or say, listen, I'm going to be in my trailer, okay? And you're like, you, you haven't got a trailer. <laughs> you know what I mean, you're no, the producer no. now.
3: <laughs> few, I was just saying to someone, it was so funny because I, I, Paula, you know, a wonderful director did ask me to play a part. I didn't intend to. Uh, I'd originally written the role of Clay Spang's boss for um, a man because I felt he needed a friend um, mm. who he could confide in, but who was also slightly different to him, um, mm. you know, perhaps more of a kind of player. But she felt quite rightly, that we needed more women in, in the movie and more yep. sort of authoritative women. So I ended up saying, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to work with Clays Bang and do a few scenes with him? But mm-hmm. I I remember the second AD said to me, so um, you'll pick up tomorrow. And I said, sorry? And he said, yeah, for car. I was like, Oh my god! Someone's actually sending a car
1: for me. That's amazing. (laughs) Normally you get there yourself, right?
3: (laughs) I'm the producer. i just make my own way, (laughs) make my own way, Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: suddenly I was getting a taxi, which is, but which of course always is actually just about making sure that the stupid actor turns up on time. That's the only reason, really.
1: But and the way you control that, like you say, is you pick them up. They're definitely turning up then if the taxi's outside the house, beeping the You're horn, fine. banging on the door. I'm going to eventually open that and go, all right, I'm coming. Um, yeah. Let's talk about why you wanted to do this, because we all know writing and producing anything is very difficult and very hard to get something off the ground. And the fact that you are a very well-established actress and very brilliant actress will have helped. But at the same time, it's still not that easy at all. It doesn't matter how established you are to write and produce something so why did you want to do this and why this idea the bay of science which is terrific by the way absolutely terrific film really well written brilliantly performed across the board you know really great why why this project do you want to talk us to us uh filmmakers out there why screenwriting yeah
3: yeah um probably because i'm a glutton for punishment Um, (laughs) and uh because i think i'm really stubborn i don't like no for an answer um I also uh, I went to Bristol University. I did English and drama at a time when we weren't really expected to be actors. We were meant to turn up and you know sort of be good arts administrators or directors or indeed writers. And you know Jeremy Brock and Greg Duran, who runs the RSC, and mm. uh, Simon Curtis. So you know we're all kind of my contemporaries. Um, but uh, I I ended up acting. I'd, I'd actually already. Um, in those days, we needed equity cards uh, in order to be able to work. And True. I had actually done a, um I'd left school and I'd spent my summer holidays uh, making a BBC television series. So I actually had that provisional equity card in my hand. And yes. I'd have a kind of little taste of what it was like to be a professional actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went to uni to do my three years. But uh, that kind of meant that I could keep working while I was at university. And I was totally obsessed. I totally wanted to be an actor. It's the most, it it was for me everything because acting is about words Um, and writing is about words. It's, but which way you approach telling the story, it's two sides of the same coin. So I had always written, um, but I think I probably felt more comfortable um, and more confident um, interpreting other people's words because I do think it takes quite a lot of chutzpah, really, to to say, I want people to sit up and listen to something that I have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think that adapting something from someone else's work also then can slightly put you at one remove, and that's sort of what I started doing. And by the time I came to the Bay of Silence, um, it had been percolating for quite some time, and I had written some other scripts. Um, And I'd even, you know, had... um, I'd even been paid to write them and it was always something that was there. But the acting side just had more traction because I was so lucky in that uh, after, you know, 10 years of doing theatre in the United Kingdom and being at the RSC International and, you know, thinking, you know, that I was basically theatre actress, I found myself in Hollywood and I got hooked. And mm-hmm. so the whole world of film opened up to me, but opened up to me in an extraordinary way. I'd been used to doing BBC series where, you know, everything is locked off. You have the master and then you've got the man and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's all a bit static. And, you know, generally you might be period and have a hat. Um, <laughs> and you know, here I was with the master, you know, genius of, he used to say, motion.
1: Motion picture, because the picture is moving.
3: (laughs) I was watching move that camera and tell the story, and I realized that the camera tells the story by moving just as much as the actors tell a story in their movements. And when you get the two together, that's when you create the amazing alchemy. And that's what Steven Spielberg's genius is, because out of that, he can make you cry, and you don't even know why. Because wow. it's something he's doing because he's pushing that camera really, really slowly into someone's face. And you don't even know mm-hmm. it's happening or suddenly they're there. And to have, oh, my God, over six months at Sony Studios watching that. I'd go down every day. I was such a fan. Um, I'd hang out, I'd show people around set. Um, you know, there were you know, obviously weeks when I had nothing to do because, you know, I kind of topped and tailed the story. But, you know, there was no way that I wasn't going to be involved and, you know, watching and being a part of it. Um, yeah. So that was my film masterclass, and it blew me away. And I was very lucky in that I was able to continue working with extraordinary directors such as Ricky Scott and uh, Barry Levinson and... Uh, on and on. And uh, I felt completely blessed. And every time I worked it felt like another masterclass for me. And so it just inspired me. I just thought, I don't know if I've got the guts to direct. Uh, because also at the same time, of course, we are in a world where it's very male-dominated. Mm-hmm did Think well, maybe there's a chance for me to write something, and um, maybe I'll be able to, you know, in some small way see it happen. And simultaneously, I was back in the UK working and I was doing a lot of telly, and then I would be in Australia, I'd do something, and then there was runaway production, so we're all just working all over the place. And I was doing, you know, tiny little budget movies to big budget movies, and just enjoying being a part of it. I mean, I think I'm a bit of a I've never had an ego or a sense that I had to be somewhere or arrive somewhere or be a person. It was just, is, this, is the script good? Is mm-hmm. it someone I want to work with? Yes, I'd be absolutely delighted to come and do it. Um, and I remember Maggie Smith saying that to me. I was like, oh, just darling, just work.
1: Just work. <laughs> just work, darling.
3: And she's i so right. And I kind of always had this sense that at some point when well, my kids might be a bit grown up, And i would learned a bit more about the business that I might be able to just have a stab at, um, you know, maybe making my own movie.
1: I love that. If you don't mind me asking you the difference between someone like Spielberg and Ridley Scott and Levinson. Can you put it into words how the difference takes on directing? They direct actors. Is there anything for our filmmakers can learn from how they work with actors and their genius?
3: Well, let's turn it around and say, what do they have in common? Okay. Um, And what they have in common, I think, is curiosity, empathy, and communication. And, of course, they're geniuses. They're really (laughs) good. Um, I think Steven Spielberg has the extraordinary ability to compartmentalize in that he is a producer, he is a writer, he is a director. And I remember very, very clearly on Schindler's list, uh, he was flying every weekend to... um,
2: Go and do Jurassic Park? or
3: (laughs) Yeah, to Paris, to edit Jurassic Park. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how you keep that all in your brain, Mm. but that was also the deal that he made with Universal with Sid Sheinberg which is you need to finish this and it has to come out at this point. And yes, I will let you make your passion project um, if you must do it in black and white. Okay. (laughs) Um, And all of that. So, um, but I, I think, I think it's more what they have in common. They're extraordinary. They're able to tell stories. Now, of course they will have different ways of shooting and different visions of what it is that tells the story. And I do think that every filmmaker does have his own particular stamp um, or her, the way they shoot, because inevitably just like a writer or just like a great actor, um, you know, you're bringing all of you to it. Um, And, you know, my husband works a lot with Terry Gilliam. And, uh, you know, Terry and Nicola have a very, very close um, working relationship and how they like to tell stories visually. Um, So from that point of view, I think, these artists are also completely different but that's also the beauty of it
1: i I think i think that's fascinating thank you so much for the insight on that and i totally agree the influences we take as filmmakers from all these filmmakers over the years and the fact that spielberg could do those 2 you know some people argue the best films of all time at the same time is incredible but i think what i find interesting with you is all those filmmakers you've worked with the influence you must have had over that time. So when you came to write The Bay of Science, well, you've read some of the best scripts in the world, you know. Uh, you've been in some of the best films in the world, and suddenly now you're going, okay, well, I can put some of that influence into my writing. How did God. you approach it? Because it was a novel originally. How did you manage to yeah, approach it? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure.
3: I wish to God, uh, you know, Steve Zalian had been, or Jim Hart <laughs> <laughs> had been over my shoulder.
2: Absolutely.
3: Um, but no, I mean, I think in a way, you know, yeah, you. Uh, gosh, but I mean, then it I would was, have been
2: a Steve Zalian movie and not a Caroline well, movie, you, so. Well, you know,
3: his movies can run to two hundred pages. You know that, don't you? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I th- I think that you, I think it's like anything. There's instincts about what you hope might work, but you never really know until it's it's on its legs and it's there. And I think the irony about film is. You know, a play you can kind of workshop and you can go back and forwards because, you know, but with film, yes, you can do a read through. Of course, we had a read through, but you don't really know. It's it's you write the film the first time on your own as a, a screenwriter's version. And then there's the version which goes into production, which inevitably is going to have um, the input of the director and of the lead cast because there's been rehearsals and you're sitting there and you're doing rewrites and you're going, yeah, oh, yeah, you're totally right. Oh, God, no, 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 that bit doesn't add up, does it? Oh, God. Uh, You know, or you need more here or you need more there. And then, of course, it's rewritten in production because sometimes Mm -hmm. you're not getting what you need and you don't have um, a budget that's, you know, endless and you just have to go for what you can get. And then, of course, then you're in the edit, and it's written again, a third time. So it's always a team effort. And I always see a screenplay as a roadmap for much smarter people, basically, to um, hack a path off that road and go around, uh, you know, if necessary. You know, um, I, I think because of my American experience where american actors just love to improvise um and american directors don't care i mean also you know i work with robin williams so you know mm. so the, the only reason i got the job was because i could improvise um and uh, you know that was quite oh. kind of, like, an important thing um and i've done a certain amount of stand-up which no one really knows oh, wow um, okay yeah,
1: that would have helped with Robin then in that situation. You must have been like, right, how do I get a word in? I know, I'll use my comedy chops. And yeah, that must have been well, interesting. Well,
3: in fact, it was the other way around. It was funny. And at one point I, I said, this was just during our audition, which was kind of so delicious and fun. It was just him and me and Stephen with a, a video camera in those oh, days. Wow. Um, and um, I said at one point, you're not saying anything. And he looked at me and he chuckled and he said, ah, oh, but I've got the job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He's oh, like, man. I don't need to. It's up to I you, know. love.
3: It's like so cool, and at the same time, just leaving me to hang out and dry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> um, I love yeah. that. That's really funny. Yeah. To talk about how you wrote it, then. So, did you do you did you break it down into chapters? Did you put notes along the wall? How did you actually oh, sit oh, and okay. do this?
3: Um, <laughs> ah. Uh, I don't know how do you do it. I think we all do it different ways. I think yes, the 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 book itself is actually written from two points of view, um, and I did toy with that. I originally thought, oh, this could be a really good sort of TV movie uh, or kind of like a mm. series, and we could have it from both points of view, and you would see. But ironically, as I was doing it, that that wasn't so in at the time. It then, of course, now is completely in. I just saw the. It's the luminaries I was like oh god you know multi-character yeah. is so in right now I mean have you read Linda Aronson's 20th century screenplay yet
0: no, it's all no that looks good so <laughs>
3: good it's all about multi-character whereas prior to this of course it had to be the hero's journey and it had to be linear and we had to have the mm-hmm. conflict you know, and you're looking at Sid Field and every 10 minutes you have to have, you know, and you're, you know, breaking down Chinatown it's the best script that's ever been done. And you say, well, you know, where's my point of no return and where am I? And, you know, because because screenplays a structure. So I fiddled around for quite a long time, actually, just in a way using the book because it's so, I found it so compelling saying, how do I, how do I tell this story that is, Really about a man faced with two impossible choices and all drama is conflict. And um, you know, I love psychological thrillers. Um, I also really wanted to make a British film and this is a British book, even though her name is Lisa Saint-Aberne de Turin.
1: Yeah, amazing uh, name.
3: And uh, her actually her father was Jan Carew, who's a Guyan Guyanan um uh writer. Uh, so she's had such a colorful life herself, and she now lives in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, she was living in Italy, actually, and I kind of tracked her down, and I said, um, you know, I want to talk to you about this book. And she said, oh, God, everyone is trying to do my books, and no one seems able to, because Mike Radford was trying to do Slow Train to Milan, and someone else was trying to do for the house. Um, and she said, I'm just so fed up with this. And um, we kind of became friends. And um, I said, well, if you'd just be kind enough – I don't have any money, really – to – Option it, but um, just let me know you know what I can do and um, so she was very generous, and she gave me an option for you know a peppercorn amount that allowed me to just keep going on it because what happens to a lot of writer producers is that they get to a point where they 've got a three year option and it's mm-hmm. running out and they 've spent money and it's gone nowhere and mm-hmm. they 've been shopping it around. And they just have to relinquish it and let it go, and then that book then is re-optioned to somebody else, mm. and they go there. But you know, you know, so many books have gone that way. I've met people who, you know, perfume. I think was possibly the mm. classic.
2: Yeah, um, the, unfilmable <laughs> the unfilmable movie.
3: Unfilmable film. But you know, I, I all sorts of people, including Dustin uh, Hoffman, were attached to that at one point. Wow. He wanted to direct it. Um, so. From that point of view, um, I was really lucky in that I uh, was able to pick it up and put it down. Um, And as time went by, I felt more and more that this should be a mystery thriller. Um, And um, through one person's point of view, and it was a man, and I certainly had no problems then, and I certainly still don't now, uh, with a woman writing, uh, you know, into a man's head and vice versa. You know, really? you know <laughs> men have always done it for us.
1: A hundred percent, yeah.
3: And, uh, but also I think in looking at back at it now, as it's come out when it has, what I'm really pleased by is the response from men I talk to, Because they're part of this equation. Men are victims as well. Um, You know, sexual abuse, death of children, madness, not knowing your partner, you know, all those things Mm -hmm. happen to men as well. And I think Clay's performance of, you know, this ordinary man thrown into extraordinary circumstances, uh, which is, you know, kind of classic trope, but he plays it so well and he's so vulnerable and you really just relate to him. And when you get to that central moment, which was really, I think, the image that stayed with me and made me sort of start writing. You asked me where you start, and I actually did start in the middle, you know, in Medias Reyes. I started in the middle and worked out. That central moment that fundamental turning point where he's on, he gets down to the beach and he sees the twins, and you've got this old-fashioned pram that we never really explain, which I <laughs> love. <laughs> it's just there, yeah. and it feels a bit Rosemary's Baby, and yeah. it's just a fantastic kind of trope. Um, and um, that image just stayed with me, and these two little these twins sort of fighting and... What's inside, and this image of this man moving towards it, and the mystery that you know, and you kind of want to kind of reach in to the screen and say, Don't touch, yeah. <laughs> go
0: away, don't look.
3: Um, and you know, I, I don't know, I was just, I found that just really inspiring, and I thought, Okay, we've got to kind of make this work. Um, and then increasingly, uh, because it got linear, um, I just felt we have to see it through his eyes. Um, if you look at Don't Look Now, which was...
2: Mm. Uh, it and makes, the Vanishing, makes rogue film, yeah. yeah.
3: Don't Look Now and The Vanishing were um, real inspirations to me because you are discovering at the same time as the protagonist what is going on. And actually, if you, I did look again, and there are a few moments in Don't Look Now where actually you're not with Donald Sutherland, you're actually with her. Mm. But there's not very many. Um, and you generally, if you think back on that film, you think, whose eyes am I looking through? It? And it's it's Donald Sutherland. Yeah, it's his point um, of view, yeah. Yeah, and um, so in the same way, that kind of classic throwback, 70s sort of feel, I really hope that we'll be able to find that. And I take my hat off to Guido Vanganep, who shot it, and he looked at a lot of... Um, you know Nick Rogue bad timing Mm. Uh, and Mm. also cinematically was doing some very interesting things where you know you'd have a lot of you know dark in one side of the screen and then the close up of the person would be sort of there and we used anamorphic lenses Mm -hmm. uh, and we were very kind of careful about the three worlds that we're inhabiting the kind of the light and the sun of the Italian world which Mm -hmm. is sort of magical and love and about potential uh even though we know uh, by the time we get to the end that there's a sting there
2: um
3: Mm -hmm. and then we have London that starts off really very upbeat and kind Mm -hmm. of fun yeah the
1: house is great all that stuff is really upbeat yeah
3: cultural kind of party Mm -hmm. you know it's all you know they're kind of it's bohemian and um then we get down the rabbit hole and we get to Normandy, France, and it becomes very Gothic and um, almost sort of, you know, desaturated. And this extraordinary Gothic house on the cliff that we found that's actually in St. Abbs in Scotland. Wow. Um, we went north, We went to the borders of um, you know the Scottish borders and and Newcastle and um, up there to shoot, partly because I promised. From having been on the board of the Newcastle Film Festival, that if I did make the movie, I would go north, and I would, and I kept my promise. Um, but also, um, we knew that we would probably find a little isolated village, and we found this amazing village. It's like a little, you know, just a little row of houses, like a little ribbon of houses, right, crouching on the coast, on in this really kind of weird black rock seaweed filled kind of place um and then St. Abbs has this house that's right on the cliff and they let us obviously we work a bit with the art department so it had that kind of gothic feel gables and it may not be terribly French, but um, there's something just so wonderfully psycho about it. (laughs) At that point, of course, you are going into a completely different world and Mm -hmm. you're asking the audience to follow you there, to follow Will into that world, into that strange place where he doesn't speak the language and unspeakable things are about to happen. And, uh, you know, he's going to find that his wife, um, you know, is... In an attic, locked out of her mind, you know, in 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 one of those completely melodramatic gothic ways, uh, like you know your classic gothic uh, stories, you know Edgar Allan Poe's time. So mm. you know, there's all those kind of references and all those things that are mixed in, um, which you know are layered in that you probably don't notice immediately, and then later on if you go back, if uh, you know, like I definitely have to go back to Tenet. so. Chris
0: mm-hmm. and I have
2: Sure, so, for sure, everyone does. Yeah, maybe if
3: you want to go back to Bear silence, you might see some other things in there as well.
2: Totally true. Um, it's, yeah, it's fantastic uh, to hear you discussing all these kind of cinematic and literary antecedents of the, a film of this genre. Because um, yeah, and it's, as I was thinking exactly the same thing. It's like it's almost like a a Clouzot film, like Diabolique, or like a sort of classic like Hitchcock it. kind of thriller. Like it's got all those sort of layers in. It's it's definitely. You're in that sort of uh, vibe and tone with a, with a film like this. So it's just such a nice, uh, it's sort of f- familiar, but also sort of sinister <laughs> in a way. Yeah,
3: so. I, think, I think that's the idea is that, you know, it's sort of familiar, te- it's familiar territory, but you kind of go with it and you're kind of happy. It's like, oh, mm. good, it's, it's a movie like that. And and. We're not messing with you particularly. Um, yes, it's got a lot of twists and turns, and you know, yes, there is a sort of reveal or two. But I mean, when I I get a little annoyed actually at the moment with a so that there's a sort of seems to be a trend where they're so messing with the audience head in terms of uh, multi character, in terms of um, unreliable narrators, yeah. mm-hmm. Um and. I, it's nothing worse than spending you know hours, or even now it can be a whole television series
1: totally 10 hours yeah. of your life gone yes
3: and then you realize that you're actually being uh,
1: yeah hoodwinked you
3: know, the rug's been taught, you've been hood, hoodwinked yeah, cheated. Um, so I, I didn't sort of want that to happen i hope that you know people discovered what they discover at the same time as he does mm, yeah. um, as well
1: now you've uh, created, you've created something, and it's amazing that this is your first well feature that's got made in terms of a writer. But it's just it's a very professional, very well written. You know, it's very just well delightful. oiled
2: machine. It's
1: yeah. very well oiled. Absolutely. <laughs> Was there a point because you're a producer as well? And this is the problem when we're writer, producer, star, director, whatever it is, is we very find it very difficult to know when to stop. As in. I'll just do another draft. I'll tweak that. So when was your, when did your producer head come on and go? Yeah, do you know what that script's fine now and let's get on with making it.
0: Um,
3: I think around two thousand and it seems always so long ago now, isn't it? About yeah. to, to, 2013, 14. Oh um, wow,
1: that is yeah, that is a long.
3: Oh yeah, my god! Well, we did. We we, we started shooting two thousand eighteen. Look, I, I kept writing all the way through, of course you know, ever since I saw Kathy Kennedy wafting onto the set of Hook. Um, <laughs> wafting. She, yeah, she's old one, are gliding really. <laughs> in, her, in her perfect seat.
1: Floating. Was mm. So
3: calm. Um, I always just, you know, was just so impressed by women producers and thought that could be kind of cool. I want to learn this. And so I, I did the Producers Forum in Cannes and I realised that, what you needed to do is put your head down, um, keep very below the radar. That was my kind of MO, really, and um, just work really hard and just march up and down, try and find a sales agent. I remember literally banging on doors at uh, Lowe's in Santa Monica. Um, And, uh, you know, I uh, came across a sales agent who was, you know, happy to talk to me. They didn't actually take on the film, but introduced me to Peter Gard, who uh, is one of the greats, who founded Zentropa, who I then met in Berlin. I mean, it just all goes like that. It just
1: keeps rolling on, yes, (laughs) once you do the work, yes.
3: I realised that business plans and finance plans are what it's about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also, because I had been on so many movie sets and worked in so many countries and had obviously talked to people, I realised that things were financed in very different ways wherever you are. And in the UK, we have a particular way of financing. And in the US, uh, there's an equity-led way of financing. Um, Europe is very much driven by grant funding. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Um, And I thought, if I can do a hybrid version of this, um, then maybe I've got a chance. Because I call it preferred customers. I'm not a preferred customer of anyone. I'm not age. I'm probably the wrong sex. I'm probably the wrong everything. I don't tick any boxes. And I knew that I was not going to get that coveted broadcast tick of approval, which Mm. you need to get in the UK from uh, the BBC or Channel 4 or whoever, or the big uh, distributor, Mm. even if I had value talent on board. Uh, because that's the most important thing, of course, as well, is to have talent that, you know, they can then look at the sales figures and say, well, yes, we think the estimates are going to be this, and so you can therefore get pre-sales. So I just realized that I had to do sort of boots up and learn it, and actually I found it really kind of fun.
0: Oh, and that's good.
3: I think the turning point came for me um, was... I don't know. I was in some sales suite, probably in one of the markets, and um someone said, "So, you know, so what's the fun about?" <laughs> yeah. So bored.
1: Yeah, a hundred pitches that day. Bored, bored, bored. Yeah, and,
3: and here's another one. And I said, so the finance plan is um, 30% pre-sales. We've already pre sold to airlines and we've already got pre-sales. And I started talking the finance plan. And I said, X amount of equity and I just need that little piece there. And of course, then there's the tax credit and the soft money and I've got some soft money out there. And suddenly you saw them just get closer and closer because you were talking their language. Yes. And that was the thing I realized is, they are financiers. Mm. They there's only three plots.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've seen everything. What they, what they want is the magic bullet. Is Liam Neeson in it?
1: Yes, exactly.
3: Oh, so if it's not Liam Neeson, who have you got that's got some value for us? And mm-hmm. I have to say, I mean, because we're doing a filmmaker's podcast here, what I love is when... You you talk to people, and they say, "Oh wow, you know." And I was talking to Lionsgate, and they said, "If I can get so and so, and if I can get so and so, then they're going to give me all the money."
1: Yeah, well, and you I think said, if you get so and so, you're going to get all the money anyway, from wherever, right?
3: Exactly. I said, "Well, yeah, but then you might as well just go to Universal. Mm-hmm.
0: Or
3: you know, you might as well just go to the top." So what's and 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 it's that thing they lead us along, and we're naive. And then, of course, the next thing is, of course, is that you are signing your life away. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, hello! hello. Oh, uh, excuse me. I've actually got a doctor who's going to do a COVID test for me. Oh, can we do oh, okay. to do
1: this live? This would be you? amazing. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It'd be amazing.
3: <laughs> I'll just let you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the first. This is a first on the focus because a COVID test for her film,
2: Caroline's yeah. film, live. Caroline wasn't joking when she said she gets tested daily for COVID. Oh, we have to go outside?
0: Yes, of course.
3: Okay, hold on a second. I'm terribly sorry. You're not going to see this because I have to go outside to do it because, of course, we're social distancing. But it'll be three seconds.
1: Perfect. No problem. I love that. We'll get to describe what it's like when she comes back from her COVID test live. Oh. (laughs) Oh, filmmaking. Right there. Oh, that one was up my nose. That, what what happened? What did they actually? What did they actually do?
3: Um, I've had so many now. Um, this one was just up my nose.
1: Oh, what
2: all the way up? That sounds quite unpleasant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, they, what was it? They put up a swab, or did they put?
3: A... Yeah, it's just like a very long Q-tip.
1: Oh oh oh. Yeah,
3: but um. I've had, in, in Italy, they go down the throat and they do each nostril. Uh, last week in London, it was down the throat and each nostril. In Hungary, it was just throat swabs. Um, right. Any other country? No, that's it so far. And this is Croatia.
1: Oh, it's down the throat bit that does me. I'd have to do nose down the throat. I couldn't do directly down the throat. I'd just be gagging. That would just I be horrible. Find-
3: I don't have a problem with down the throat,
0: but
1: um wow, I got struggle.
3: And you know, some of them are really good at it. And Feather, I wouldn't say he's a, he's he's a
1: feather. <laughs> <laughs> this guy shoving a Q-tip up your nose was not the best. Failed. this
0: is our cool.
1: right
0: now. You know? Yeah. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Just to be able to work.
1: You mentioned there and you're saying the investors and when you were talking to them about cast and when you're in Cannes and where all these places you go and you're pitching during any of these points. Had you brought cast on board? Had you gone there first before you got money in place?
3: Um, look, it's always chicken and egg. And you know this yourself mm-hmm. as being as being a filmmaker. Um, so Is that
2: the bells out the window? Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like church bells.
3: Yes, it is. They go off quite a lot. It's very Catholic here.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, cast. Yes. Um, was anyone involved early on?
3: Yes, in that uh, Brian. Brian was always there
1: for right. me. Brian um, Cox. Yeah. Brian I,
3: mean, Brian, I just can't thank him enough. Um, he has my heart. He... He and I met in 1985, we're going back a very long time, wow. at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And he played my dad, Tarleton, in a Bernard Shaw play called Miss Alliance. And I was Hypatia with, in a ridiculous wig. Um, and we spent six months together at the RSC and um, became great friends. And his kids know Mike, you know, well, his kids are older than my kids, but, you know, we just, all, we always seem to be in step. So when he moved to Hollywood, I was there. And at one point, he even rented my house. At one point, I rented his house. Um, you know, we just, families, my sister, you know, everybody, we just are like family. And Brian said, um, sure, you know, in that way that all us actors do because we don't like to let anybody down. Sure, sure. You know, when you get it going, I'll be there for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah.
3: And, uh, you know, he was because it's very easy at that point to say, well, I'm terribly sorry. I'm awfully busy and good luck. But he really was there for me and I am just so grateful. And he's brilliant because I needed someone like Brian for that role because not, and it's the same with Place and Olga. I needed archetypes. Mm. I mean, Ace is like Jimmy Stewart. Olga is um, a Rosalind Russell.
1: She's um, is amazing, isn't she? Yeah. And
3: Brian also, you know, he is, um, you know, he's just all of those amazing, uh, you know, actors. Rolled
1: into one. one. He's just a, a, a firecracker, <laughs> well, he isn't he?
3: he? Brian is also, he's like a secret weapon because other actors always want to work with Brian as well.
1: Yeah, and that must have helped massively. Going into rooms, pitching, having him attached in—I mean, I
3: yeah—that certainly helped. I have to say, um, they always want huge movie stars, and you know, Brian now because, of course, of Succession and and you know the Emmy and and Golden Globes mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Um, but uh, you know, they, they're saying, yeah, but he's a third lead. You know, who's who's the first and second lead? You know, we also, you know, we can't we we can't sell a film. You know, he's brilliant, but we can't sell that film on the third lead. He's not in it enough. Uh, but what he does is he also of course gives such gravitas to the um project and uh certainty to it and of course um he is a great actor magnet so when i told olga that um he was involved and plays they were just like oh yeah okay thank you we're in and then the important thing is is that you know, they have to like the script, and uh, then there has to be time in their schedule to be able to fit it all in and to be able to do it. Yes. Uh, director as well. So.
1: I mean, it's, you've, it, what you've done and, and so many filmmakers out there who haven't done this yet or those who have, it's a really amazing achievement to do this, to pull together a feature film with amazing talent and it to be fantastic and a brilliant film. It's a really, really huge achievement. You should be very proud. Uh, I'm proud of you. Um, I think oh. it's just wonderful. Really wonderful.
3: I've joined your club now.
1: <laughs> yes you are you're part of the podcast team now the yeah now, now you just
2: you have to direct the next one caroline that's what you have to yeah,
3: do yeah <laughs> yeah i'd love to i'd love to but um i'm not going to i've always had a problem with people who think that they deserve anything if that makes sense that uh, they, yes they yeah. deserve a career because they studied something They deserve this or that. I don't think anyone deserves anything. I do believe you need your 10,000 hours and more. Um, And um, not that you can't give people a leg up or hope that someone's going to help you. I do believe that we need to be as inclusive as possible um, and to help each other as much as possible. And this isn't an industry that necessarily does that. This is an industry that really kind of is rather thrilled when people fail. Um, It's like, oh, good, now there's room for me now, I can try. Because it's so competitive, and I think increasingly because it's less of a mystery now. When I was starting, the whole idea of making movies was such a mystery. Um, Even acting in front of a camera
0: was Mm -hmm. a mystery.
3: Um, There were techniques that you kind of had to learn. Now everybody is just raised with a phone and putting themselves on tape, on camera, Mm There's very few people who haven't been raised with a camera in front of them. And as a result, you've got fantastic actors, I think, it, you know, and, and fantastic filmmakers mm-hmm. come out of that because the mystery disappeared. Yes. But I think there's also a sense of there's just more people who want to do it uh, be, because of the fact that the gates are wider open. There's not a union issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only real issue is financial. Uh, yeah. but. But now, can we we can, you know, if we get the right people together, we can do it pretty cheaply. Doesn't mean it looks that good.
1: No, you're right. But you can do it. And I love what you said there about putting the 10,000 hours in. It's so true. People do expect things to fall in their lap and they get disappointed. But I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? you've you've got to do the work and I bang on about it on this podcast all the time but it's so true (laughs) (laughs) but if you work hard things will happen for you they just you've just got to keep grinding it out you do have to it's so difficult this business but if you're there and you're doing the work eventually things will start to go and if you've got a modicum of talent hopefully a really big amount of talent then things will move for you properly
3: um yeah I think that's true I also think that you know we never quite know what a chance meeting or a follow up will bring. Um, and I certainly found that when looking for my amazing, you know, I've got four amazing investors, none of whom I knew, all of whom I might say are American. Wow. Um, I banged on a lot of doors in the UK, and the only way you get investment in the UK, and I, I you know, I, I do have um, obviously a senior lender who have been fantastic, I have to say, MFC have been amazing. And patient and creative and David Gilbrey is a producer as well as uh, uh, a financier and I think they're just a fantastic outfit um, but you know generally in the UK they want to be senior lenders uh, which is first out um, mm-hmm. and a hefty premium that is taken out of the budget yes. um, and they obviously don't want to be equity because equity takes longer hopefully to you know hopefully there will be a return. Um, And the Americans, because they have a model which is more equity-based, are more uh, open to investing in film. um, But it really just all came out of chance meetings and business plans. Um, I have one set of investors because I went to a charity event um, that um, I'm an ambassador for a small charity and um, the guy who, you know, is who owns a charity said he couldn't go and he said is there any chance that you can go down to Texas and do this for me because we generally raise most of our money for the year from Odessa Mm -hmm. um, and would you go and um, I said of course Uh, Mm -hmm. but it was from that that I then met these amazing people who love movies and we got talking and they so when I finally sent out my business plan, my 52-page business plan, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, be, yep. um, I just thought, who am I writing? And I just sort of sent it out into the ether, you know, email. And they came back and said, oh, great. You know, can you send us the script, we really liked it. I was thinking, they're not going to like the script.
1: Yeah, they're just saying that. They're and, being nice, yeah. Um, no.
3: came, they came back and she said, I love this um she said this is so
0: up my alley and i'm thinking texas Texas?
1: (laughs) is there any bit of advice you could give someone starting out or someone who is in the business now wanting to carry on that you've learned over your time a nice nugget i mean obviously you've given so much uh, to someone now from what you've learned
3: stay passionate never say never and don't give up Because there will always be someone, and it's happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you, always someone who's going to say no, and Mm you can't, and it's not possible, whether it's your parents who really want you to get a proper
0: job. (laughs) Uh,
3: Still?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mom, Schindler's list, come on (laughs) Come on, I was in Schindler's list
0: (laughs) You know know what I mean?
3: Um, Or a partner or just a teacher Yeah Who knows? There's always going to be someone along the line who is just going to dig and make you feel bad and you're going to maybe spend a lot of time trying to get that little voice out of your head, telling yourself that what you think you can do, you can do. Um, and the other thing I would say is just any opportunity that happens to come your way, just don't ever say no. Yeah. I mean, I had no clue I was going to land up in Hollywood. It was the last thing I thought I was going to do. I wanted to be a dame of the British stage, <laughs> um, and. Sad what not, <laughs> but, and, but and I found myself because I actually went for all sorts of other reasons, um, and uh, you know I was actually following my heart. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'll I'll go there for a couple of months, see how it works, and you know if this relationship works out, which it didn't. But I really fell in love with Los Angeles. I found it a meritocracy. It's a free for all out there. Anyone can do anything and just go and do it. And the beauty now is that those gates are down. You can upload things to whatever you want to upload it to. You can get it out there. In COVID times, we now know that those windows have disappeared.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's all streaming and you can find an audience. You can data drive so you know who your niche audience is. Mm-hmm. We're not just throwing something at a wall and hoping it sticks. Yes.
0: Um
3: it's a wild west I don't know where we're going um I'm really happy that I've had the journey I've had and I'm really really grateful that you know I started when I did to be honest and uh was able to be in I would say what they're now saying was the golden age of movie making which was the 90s yes. uh, when we didn't have much in where visual effects and things were done kind of properly and slowly um and maybe in the age of COVID, we now have to do everything slowly
1: again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we do. Um, this is this has been amazing. The Bear of Silence is an incredible movie. It's out on the 28th of September. Uh, do go watch it. It's so good. Uh, listen, Caroline, thank you so much. You're an inspiration. Huge inspiration. Right.
3: <laughs> anyway it was been really fun and i'm sorry and i hope you can edit this and of
1: course, and you know. no, it's been, <laughs> it's course we can but still some amazing stories i loved it
3: and let very soon in a pub, we need it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Let's do it. We do need this. And remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen. Uh, and just as Caroline Goodall has done there, she's gone out there. Even though she's a, a well established actress, she still had to grind and work hard and put in the hours. And now she's got the film The Bay of Silence, starring some amazing people out now into the world. You can do the same. Um, and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty, Robbie. To
2: send the elevator back down, Giles. Send that <laughs> right to the ground. Send it,
1: send it to Robbie. <laughs> send it right to Robbie. Uh, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow me at Robbie McCain. Thank you so much, Robbie, uh, for joining us on this. Caroline Goodall, you are a star. Um, thank you. Take care. And remember our episode with the amazing Klaus Bang, who does star in Bay of Silence. We'll be out on Friday. It'll be a bonus episode. It'll be nice and short, but he's a legend. So enjoy that on Friday. And remember, next Tuesday is our episode with a load of the Dare cast. I'm going to try and get as many as I can on. And we're all going to chat about how we made the movie The Dare. And I'm just going to promote the shit out of it because that's the kind of twat I am. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. But anyway, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week.